I recently traveled somewhere, right, recently, and I felt so out of place. You see, everyone that was around me was just super, you know, very well educated. I was around some pretty, some wealthy people. I mean, most of the people that were around me at this time had a DR in front of their name or a PhD at the end of it, if you know what I'm talking about. Everybody was kind of, you know, buttoned up and, and wearing really sharp suits, really nice suits and, and really nice ties with amazing patterns on them and super shiny shoes. Man, and, and, and there was I, right? I, I don't even have a suit that I fit in anymore, right? I, I don't even own a suit right now. And I was in the middle of all these very educated, just good looking people, super sharp, very smart and, and pretty affluent uh, folks. The conversations around me were very awkward because I just felt so disconnected between, you know, the topics that they would bring up, the conversations that they were having, uh, man, and, and, and even eating was, was a challenge because the way they had everything set up, right, all the forks and knives, I was like, what, what fork do I use for what, right? And everything was so, uh, so strange. You know, one of the most fascinating characters and, uh, and stories from the show um, is who we're gonna be talking about today. This guy that we're gonna be talking about, he differed from a lot of the other characters that we've spoken of so far in our series. You know, compared to some of the other um, characters, this guy was more wealthy. He was affluent. He was more prominent. He was well-known. And he was very educated. Even though he had all that working for him. He was still in as much need of Jesus as everybody else that we've looked at. And this is something that we all got to know as well. This is what I need you all to understand as well. You know, perhaps we think we've got it all together. Maybe you think you've got it, you know, all right. Everything is figured out. Maybe your money's right. The bank account is right. The career is right. And maybe you even think your religion is right. But you are still in as much need of Jesus. And Jesus is in as much of a pursuit of you as everyone else. You know, and I love this about Jesus, that Jesus is no respecter of persons, right? That all are in need of Jesus, whether you are rich or poor, if you're educated or non-educated, regardless of your nationality or affluence, Jesus is for everybody. The gospel is all-inclusive. And he's equally offensive to everyone. And certainly this is true of our main character that we're going to be studying today. His name is Nicodemus. I have a picture of you guys of the actor that portrays him in the show, The Chosen, right here. His name is Nicodemus. And the Bible gives us a glimpse into his life through a particular interaction that he has with Jesus. And so I wanted to wrap up our series with this intersection and with this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. Here's the first thing you need to know about Nicodemus, and that is that Nicodemus was a religious leader. We read this actually in John chapter 3, which is where we find his interaction. Uh, the, the book of John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. It was written by the disciple John, and it tells us the history and accounts and the account of Jesus Christ and his ministry, life, death, and resurrection. And so we read this Interaction in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says there was, a, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And here's what it says about him. He was a ruler of the Jews. 
Now, here's what we know about our main man, Nico, right? about Nicodemus. Um, we know that he was looked up to because of the religious authority that he carried around. You see, in Jesus' day especially, there was a society that especially held in high regard and in high esteem the, the leaders, the religious leaders of their day. They would be held in high esteem and high regard. And so we know because of that, he would have been very well respected and he would have demanded respect as well. And not only would they look up to him, but for many people and young Jewish boys, they, they would desire to be like him. They would aspire to have that authority and to be that well-learned, right? As Nicodemus as well, they would look up to him because Nicodemus represented the epitome of not only knowing the law, but keeping the law. And so because he knew the law and kept the law, he was considered righteous. He was considered a righteous person, a holy person. And everybody knew they were a big deal because of the way they dressed. I don't know if you guys caught it in the picture that I showed you guys before. In the scene I'm going to show you in a moment, you'll definitely see it. But they walked around, right, and as like a big shot, the way they dressed. So they had the shiny shoes. They had the sharp, the sharp suit, right? They, they dressed around in their day, and you knew they were a big shot. You knew that they were holy and righteous because of the way that they looked. And because these guys knew the Torah, we know this about them, they knew how to read. Right? They were very educated, unlike many others in Jesus' day, and, and perhaps many of those that Jesus encountered and invited into his, into his ministry, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Nicodemus, would have been able to read and write, meaning he was very educated, very well educated, and he would have studied under the best rabbis. You know, outwardly, everything looked great for Nicodemus. The way he dressed, the authority he carried, the leadership that he had, the amount of knowledge that he was able to obtain. But what you need to understand about our God is that he doesn't care about outward appearances. He doesn't care about how you look on the outside. And this is why Jesus would get in trouble so often with the Pharisees. In fact, in one such moment, we read this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Jesus says this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And look at what he calls them hypocrites. And what he says is that you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. What is Jesus saying here? Well, essentially what he's saying is that, man, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you clean the outside of the cup and everything looks good on the outside and you look real shiny and pretty. And on the outside, everything looks like you got it all together, but inside, inside you are dirty. You see, religion, the way we understand it, is not what God desires. It's essentially what Jesus is saying. Religion, the way we understand it, the way we perceive it, the way we view it, is not what God desires. By the way, this is why so often many people in our culture, society, in our world have a problem with Christians because outwardly Christians tend to look a certain way and proclaim a certain message, right? But then outwardly, uh, what they say and how they behave often contradicts with what they say. Many times, you know, we confess, we confess Jesus, but then we live like the devil during the week. And that's why David penned these words in Psalm chapter 51, verse 16 and 17. He said this, he said, You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. 
Here's what David is saying. He's like, God, you, you don't want sacrifices. You don't want all the religious, all the religious um, attributions and all the religious ceremon- ceremonies. What you desire is our heart. And so this is so important for us today to examine our motives, to look inwardly into our hearts and into our lives and to ask ourselves, am I genuinely pursuing Christ or am I simply looking the part? Am I genuinely pursuing Jesus? Am I genuinely looking for Him? Am I genuinely searching after and repenting of sin or am I simply looking the part on the outside? Because God is more concerned with your heart than with your outward appearance. And if God's got your heart, then the rest will fall in place anyway. If, if God is genuinely taking, taking root in your heart and the way we behave and everything else is going to fall into place. In other words, what you do and, and what you say and, you know, and what you look like, all of that will fall into place if Jesus has genuinely captured your heart then automatically what you say and believe will line up with how you live and behave. Outwardly, Nicodemus had the appearance of having it all together, but something was missing. And what we learn is, number two, that Nicodemus was a seeker. Nicodemus was a seeker. The creators of the show, they create this scenario where Nicodemus sets up a meeting because he wants to learn more about Jesus. He wants to see Jesus for himself, and he wants to interview him and have a conversation. He's so intrigued by this person. He's interested. He's curious. And so he comes to the conclusion that he has to meet Jesus. And so he sets up this meeting with Jesus, and the following interaction happens. Check the scene out. Mary, wait. He saw it. I saw a paralytic Walked past me on his two feet. You asked me before if I knew his name. Now everyone knows his name. And I fear for his safety. I mean no trouble to him. No dishonor. Your friends tried to have him arrested. They're jealous. They're afraid. But I'm not. I promise. Mary, please. I need to talk to him. I follow him, not the other way around. He doesn't tell anyone his plans. Will you ask him for a meeting in secret, under cover of night, at a place of his choosing? I don't care if it's a ravine or a cave or even a tomb. I just need to speak to him. Please, Mary. So this scene that you just saw is is essentially uh, what was interpreted from the book of John in John chapter 3, verse 2, which says this, Nicodemus came to him at night. That's that meeting that he wanted to meet with Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. You see, something was stirring in Nicodemus's heart. But, you know, there was too much to risk for him. There's too much at risk for him as a Pharisee. And so what he does is he sets up a meeting at night because maybe at night, by the cover of darkness, nobody would see this interaction with him and Jesus. Nobody would uh, question him or see him having this conversation because there's too much at risk for Nicodemus. However, he knew that if Jesus, ha- Jesus 
simply had to be sent by God. Jesus doing the miracles that he was doing, the signs, the wonders, the teaching, that, the, the teaching of authority that Jesus had, he knew that there was something more to Jesus. And so he goes to investigate, and he asks Jesus questions, and he's trying to pry and trying to pull out more and trying to figure out who Jesus is. You know, this is where some of you are today. Some of you are here today and you're curious. You're just curious and you just want to learn more. You have more questions than answers. You have doubts and fears. And I'm just so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're watching this and you're tuning in. I'm so glad that you are a part of Swerve Church because I want to let you know that you are welcome here. With your questions and with your doubts and with your fears, you belong here. And I pray that as you come and as you plug in to Swerve, that you would find a welcoming family, that you would find a family that helps you feel cared for and helps you feel loved because you are. You are loved and cared by Jesus. He loves and He cares for you. And I love that you are curious and I, and I love that you have, that have questions and that you are seeking. But I want to let you in on a little secret. If you are seeking like Nicodemus was, if you are seeking, it's only because Jesus sought after you first. If you, if you are seeking and if you have questions and, and if you're wondering, what is this all about? Hate to break it to you, but it's because Jesus has already been seeking after your heart. Remember the name of this show, the show and the series is The Chosen. The Chosen. Nicodemus did not choose Jesus. Jesus chose Nicodemus. And if you are seeking, it is because Jesus is already pursuing you. It's because he has already stirred something in your heart. Look at what Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 and 28 says. These are the very words of Jesus. And he says, no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. And anyone to whom the son desires to reveal him. Whoever the Son desires to reveal Him. And then Jesus goes on to give an invitation to those who the Son has desired to reveal to them. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you are seeking, it is because, it is because the Son of God is seeking you. It is because Jesus has called you. It is because He loves you. You know, perhaps you've tried other things. You've tried uh, other uh, options. You've tried other religions. You've tried relationships. You've tried money and careers. And you've been drowning your sorrows in anything that can numb away the pain that you've been experiencing. And what is the result? Every single time, every person that I've spoken to that has ever tried any of these things to try to find their hope and find purpose and to find acceptance in, every single person I've ever encountered that has tried to fulfill and to satisfy these things in their lives with this stuff always ends up empty. Every single time. Maybe you're in search for something more because you too have tried all these things. And Jesus is telling you that it's Him it is Jesus that you need. And you think that you are seeking Him, but all the while, He's pursuing you. He's seeking after you because He loves you, because He cares for you. Do you guys remember the parable of the 99 sheep? It's not the lost sheep that goes looking for the shepherd. It is the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go and pursue the sheep. In 1 John Chapter 4, verse 10 says this. I would love for you guys to read this verse out loud with me. Ready, go. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, 
but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's not that you love God, but that God loves you and He pursues you and He seeks after you and He loves you and He gives you compassion and He welcomes you. And Nicodemus finds himself in this place. He's curious. He's seeking. He knows that there's more to Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Number three, Jesus calls Nicodemus to faith in him. There's this heartwarming scene in the show where Jesus does go ahead and meet Nicodemus at night and he entertains all the questions that Nicodemus has. And so the creators of the show give us a glimpse as to what this interaction by the darkness of night might have looked like. Check out the scene. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and wonder. You can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground.
everything culminates into this moment for Nicodemus. All the wondering, all the questions, all the doubts, all the fears leads to a loving interaction and a loving conversation with Jesus. And here's what Jesus does. He puts all the cards out on the table. He puts all the cards on the tables and he says all the questions that he has, all the fears are satisfied, all the doubts are answered in Jesus, in the Son of God. And he says it through one Old Testament reference in John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Look at what he says. See if you can catch this. It says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You see, Jesus is referring to an Old Testament story where the people of Israel were suffering because of a plague, because of their disobedience. And there were people that were getting sick and they were dying. And so God commands Moses to, to essentially make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, uh, kind of like this illustration that you see here. And what God tells Moses is that whoever looks upon the serpent on the pole would not die. And now here's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus by bringing this Old Testament story into Nicodemus' life and, and demonstrating this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that that bronze serpent was only a foreshadowing of the one who would hang on a tree and that would take away the sins of the world. Now Nicodemus being a Pharisee, he would have known this Old Testament story very well and he would have been very quickly been able to connect the dots and he would have been like, hold up, Jesus is saying that he's the bronze serpent, that he's the one that I'm supposed to look up to and that he's the one that would heal me of all my sins. He would have known, Nicodemus would have been able to connect all of these dots and he would have thought to himself one of two things. Either this man Jesus is a heretic or a crazy man or he is who he says he is the Son of God that can take away the sins of the world. This is the message proclaimed to Nicodemus as clear as day. And there's a decision that needs to be made as Jesus lays out all the cards on the table. Nicodemus must make a decision here in this moment. What would he do? And so Jesus would go on, go on in this very passage to read what is perhaps the most famous verse in all the world. And you have it all memorized, I'm sure. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It is in this context of this conversation where Jesus tells Nicodemus these words. For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the call that he gives Nicodemus. And by the way, it is the same call that he gives to each and every single one of us today. And every single one of us have a, a, an opportunity to respond to this call. What is that call? It is to put our faith in Jesus. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came because we are all sinful before the sight of God. And our sin merits death. The Bible says it merits God's wrath. That's what was waiting for Nicodemus' religiosity, his good deeds, his keeping the letter of the law, his memorizing of the Torah. At the end of all that, without putting faith in Jesus, what was waiting for him is God's wrath. But the grace of God pour, was poured out in Jesus who absorbs the wrath of God on the cross in our place and he dies for our sin. And God's power is demonstrated over life and death as Jesus rises from the grave. 
And so whoever puts their faith in Jesus, not religion, whoever puts their faith in Jesus, not a church service, whoever puts their faith in Jesus will experience the forgiveness of sin and will experience new life and eternity and will experience an abundant life right now. And some of you need to repent of your religion and humbly and totally and sincerely surrender to Jesus. And when you do, here's the promise that we see in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Read it out loud with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And if you want to experience this new life, all you need to do is put your faith in Jesus. For the rest of us, I want you to realize that God does not desire religion. He wants your heart. And as Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus and called him to look upon him and to put his faith on him, Jesus does the same for us today. What are you going to do? Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would protect us, Lord, from having a religious attitude, God that we will look upon our religiosity to save us, that we would trust in you and you alone. Lord, those that are seeking, those that have questions, those have, that have doubts and fears, Lord, we know that they are seeking because you sought after them first, because you loved them first. So, Lord, I pray that you would draw them closer and closer to you, God. And we put our faith in you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross to forgive me of my sin. May we never lose sight of your goodness and faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.